Welcome to the NBA Coast to Coast podcast brought to you by thelines.com. Coming to you from the West Coast, Josh Lander, joined by Nate Weitzer, always on the East Coast with us. And we are looking at seven games here on Thursday after a wild Wednesday night, I would say, in the NBA last night. Nate, in this one, we are going to be taking a look at the Cavs and the Grizz. Taking, uh, they are playing in Cleveland tonight. We actually have two more game videos for you up and our player props today on this big slate. So make sure to like and subscribe to that page. Also head to thelines.com. Check out everything we're talking about there and more in written form. And you can also use that odds finder tool that we have up there. Go ahead and make sure you're getting the best juice across all those U.S. sports books, giving you guys NBA bets this season. Nate, let's jump into this slate here and then talk about our first game, Grizz and Cavs. Yeah, and we're also going to talk about this one, Lakers minus one and a half at Indy. LeBron and AD should be in. Halliburton may be going to return here. That totals at 240. Memphis is plus six at Cleveland. That totals holding strong at 224. Grizz are on a back-to-back, so we will address that in a minute. Heat minus two at the Knicks. Intriguing game to watch. I think we're sitting out uh, on betting on that game line, though. Hornets plus six at the Bulls. Pelicans uh, still reeling plus four and a half at the Mavs. Warriors are on a back-to-back, an overtime back-to-back, so who knows who's going to sit as they're plus 12 in Denver. And then the last game we break down, Clippers plus four and a half at the Bucks. Total is at 230 there. Um, yeah, so Memphis, they have sat jaw on the last two back-to-backs, both coming after, you know, big efforts, uh, as that huge comeback effort. He had another big effort last night and just didn't get much help because we don't know if Desmond Bain is, is he not healthy? Is he out of rhythm? Um, you know, he's just missed a ton of time lately and has not been that secondary option that they've needed, uh, as they've lost now six of their last seven. And all seven have gone under because they've just been kind of ice cold. Um, <clears throat> sort of started with that funk when they collapsed in L.A. Uh, then they were blown out in that first half against Phoenix. But, I mean, they're showing signs of being the, the Memphis we know. It's just like they follow that up with intense rivalry games at Golden State, lost on a buzzer beater. At Minnesota and, and you know, shot poorly from three. Otherwise, probably would have had that game. And then got just damed last night uh, where he's hitting logo shots and it's just like, all right. And I think that's that, you know, as we try to project who's going to play, I think that's positive to say Memphis looks like they, you know, Bain didn't play a full slate of minutes. They, they kind of understood that this game was not going to go their way in Portland and they were ready for this back to back to at least be competitive. And then they do have two, Two, game, two days off after this um, before coming home against Toronto. So Cleveland to Memphis, you know, they're almost home. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a spot where I think both teams are looking to get right. Both teams are four and six in their last 10. But I, I, I as I look through the game log for both teams, I have much more respect for Mem- Memphis and what they've lost to and who they've beaten than the Cavs, who have not really faced a, a good team at full strength. I mean, and they lost to Golden State's backups in the span. They beat the Bucks without Giannis. They beat the Clippers when they completely punted their lineup. And then we faded them with the Heat in town as, as again, five, six-point dogs. And the Heat just went out and won. Um, and so there's some similarities between Miami and Memphis, right, in terms of Memphis just owning the paint, uh, <clears throat> not giving you twos, which is what Cleveland depends on more than, than anything. They just don't have the spacing to, to really beat you from the three-point line. Um, I mean, both these teams limit that. Donnie Mitchell has really bad splits against Memphis for his standards in his entire career, 21 points, 
on 40%, 36% from three, 103 offensive rating. Um, and he missed that last game at Memphis where the Cleve, the, the Cavs were kind of a, a stars out bets up and they go ahead and cover uh, <clears throat> in that one. I, I think, you know, even if you get a Joss sitting or something or Bain sitting tonight for Memphis, I think maybe the shoe's on the other foot. And it's like, all right, well, Memphis is going to show their depth. They're still going to cover and these two teams are going to play another close one. So, I mean, my take is Memphis plus six is a little big, uh, even though it's a back-to-back. I, I think maybe if you get a star out and it gets even bigger, you take that. Uh, but I think they could win this game very easily. It, it is still a toss-up in my mind, um, the way the Cavs are struggling. Yeah, I concur. Uh, I concur with all of that. I, I also think I, I do prefer an under. I know it's uh, terrifying these days to take an under on a game that isn't in the 240s uh, in the NBA. But I mean, this is a situation where the, the pace has just been so slow uh, for Cleveland at home. I mean, they're, they're bad on offense at home right now, like straight up. I, they're, they're inefficient. Um, and I think Donnie and, and, and in their last, specifically in their last six at home, um, Donnie and, and uh, Darius Garland have played together like twice. So it's, it's a little bit skewed, um, but the, you know, the, or three times rather, but still missing half the games um, what the, the other one's playing. Um, and, and that that's really why they played at that 94 pace. And, and that's why I kind of just like, where are the points going to come from? I think, you know, even in that 210 total that they played against Miami the other night for Cleveland uh, that went, you know, handily under by about 13 points or 14 points, um, that, you know, in, in that one, it was the same concept. It was like, if, if neither of these teams are going to play at a fast pace, then then that's just really, you know, th- that's what we expect at this point is is for games to, to be in the, the lower, you know, lower 220s and a little bit lower than that. So, if that is the case, though, I, I think that obviously we, we we feel a little bit better about Memphis. At least I, I would have, I guess, as I'm looking at Stephen Adams sitting out. That was where I would have found a little bit more of an advantage for them and felt a little bit better about this. Um, just because of the fact that obviously, you know, Evan Mobley has been playing really, really well um, as of late, you know, especially around the rim, um, playing alongside Jared Allen and still getting some minutes, but also playing a lot more staggered, uh, as you've seen. And he's been playing in that second unit where, you know, if, if Stephen Adams was in there, that's kind of sometimes where he'd be getting in, um, you know, if you look at how many minutes uh, everybody's been getting for for this team over the course of their last roughly like 10 games or so. Steven Adams um, has been trying to, you know, get in, get, has been getting his time at about 28, 30 minutes a game in there. Um, and so I think they'll be missing that big time also just because, you know, Santi Aldama has been coming in and Brandon Clark, but not really providing the same level of like presence down low. So that's something to be said because obviously, you know, that, that would affect the rebounding and, and the second chance points for Cleveland. But really, that's not where they've been scoring from anyway. It's been a lot of Donnie Mitchell uh, or Darius Garland and really, you know, setting the tone and, and, and trying to get back, you know, in, into that, uh, into the paint. That's why their assist percentage is so high uh, is those two guys really just doing their thing. And, and especially DG, the PG, who, who we love to talk about. But, you know, he's actually been a little bit regressed, obviously, when when Donnie's in there as well uh, over the course of their last 10. So, I mean, th- for, for Memphis, it is a Desmond Bain sort of, you know, issue, or at least that's the glaring highlight for them. And the theme right now is can he, when he's in, they, they, they're making threes. And when, he, and when he's playing healthy, I should say, they're making threes when he's not. It's just there. It's just so much worse. So, uh, like we were talking about with Ja, like you know, he he's been doing what he does, getting into the paint, uh, and then for Memphis, it's just been a lack of making the threes that he's kicking out to them, and really not having quite the same level of you know bailout guys standing on the dunkers block uh, in terms of where Stephen Adams would normally be. As Triple J has also been a little bit more around the the, the, the perimeter. So uh, overall, like I think six points is too high. I know I'm I'm sort of downing both of these teams because I think we're both down on both of them. 
right now. And Cleveland, I think, is inflated in terms of, you know, th- this this line is inflated for them because of the expectations that they gave us uh, and that they set for how they were playing at home to start the season. And it just hasn't been the case quite as much over the course of their last six games like I've been focused on, um, where I believe they're two and four uh, against the spread. You know, their offensive rating is down to about 114 or 113, where it was up about 116 at home in their previous games um, before the last six. So, you know, the, the pace is all the way down to 94, like I said, but also the defensive rating, which is still third, even in their in their last six, where they've, like I said, they've been struggling a bit more, but they're still only allowing uh, about 106 points, 107 points a game in that time frame. So uh, I, I don't think Memphis is going to necessarily be able to do anything better than those other teams that they that Cleveland's been playing against at home as of late. And, and I think this, you know, Cleveland should be, or Memphis should be able to handle that six points. Uh, and you might consider a teaser just because I would like to take this closer to under like 227. I feel like that'd be a really safe uh, under there, but 223 and a half, it's already been bet down from what it started at. So I think some people have been on that with me. Yeah, I think the total scary either way because, yeah, you mentioned the assists that Cleveland is getting third in assist rate, even in the struggles. And Memphis gives up the highest assist to field goal ratio. Um, uh, Cleveland also turning the ball over at a high rate. Memphis forcing the most turnovers and, and scoring on fast break points. So that is, I think, a check, a bigger check in their department. Uh, in terms of Memphis, you know, being in this game, and and yeah, you talked about Cleveland recently struggling to score, uh, but still holding the other team in check. Well, they just lost low-scoring games against the Knicks and Heat, two teams again that are just top five in limiting pain points, just like Memphis. Memphis might struggle yeah. guarding the three-point line on the road, but that's just not as important as it is denying those guys in the paint uh, in terms of when you're at Cleveland. So. I just think, yeah, we're going to have a close game here. Not really sure about the total uh, because Memphis has been so erratic offensively. But uh, I would lean under with you, sure. Um, I'm just, yeah, I think plus six is too much. And the juice you get on the money line is worth taking the Grizz here to, to snap out of this funk. Yeah, I, I concur with that, and that's why I'm not I'm not touching the 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 total at two twenty three and a half. Like I said, so I, it was something to jump on early, uh, and I think a few people got a hold of it and, and bet it down about four points. So here we are now. And then the uh, game we're talking here, Clips plus four and a half at Bucks. Totals at two thirty. I was hoping it would go up, uh, but in fact, other people are looking at these numbers as a little askew as well, and have bet it down a couple points to two thirty. Uh, I mean, because the Clippers have just been insanely efficient on offense lately, scoring 120 in their last seven, despite punting one game where they scored 99. Bucks playing at an insanely high pace, uh, the, the league high 109 pace in that spam. But yeah, I mean, some of these games are just not competitive, like Detroit, Indy without Halliburton, Nola without Zion. And then they didn't cover and they did go under against Denver's backups and a Charlotte Hornets team that certainly doesn't have the same defensive weaponry as the Clips. And that's what I've been focusing on a lot uh, this year is like when Paul George is in or out, when he's in, I actually like the Clippers to win with defense. I don't think he's having the greatest offensive year, but he might be having one of his better defensive seasons. And Kawhi, of course, ridiculously efficient in his last six, uh, 148 offensive rating, basically dragging the Clips to that sort of, um, you know, insane production even though they're playing at the fourth slowest pace so they're you know Ty Lue always trying to adjust things um, based on who he's playing and I think the three-point defense is going to be the key here Bucks are scoring an insanely high points off threes in this span they're still 
22nd in paint points, 24th in fast break points. Somehow, uh, I, I don't, I still don't understand how they're playing at this pace, but they're dead last in free throw rate and, and, and denying free throws uh, top four in that department. So there is, un, there are unders coming here. I mean, their last game did go under 230 is not as high as you would like it, but I, I again, think the clips slow it down 93 pace in their last seven roadies. And then you look at some of the individual splits for these guys because they don't often face alpha alpha wings like each other. Um, I mean, Giannis rolled through the clips without PG and Kawhi in February last year, but in the previous meeting, Clippers won 129-105. Uh, previous meeting, that was with just Kawhi when they had both PG and Kawhi. Milwaukee won, but it was 105-100, so very low scoring. Giannis, I mean, Kawhi's only got a 108 offensive rating. His last four versus Giannis, 23 points per game. PG, 21 points per game, 95 rating. And Giannis's numbers are down a little bit too going up against these guys. So as long as there's some negative regression for Milwaukee, which is just like hitting an insane clip of threes against these, again, non-competitive teams, uh, then I think we probably won't have as high a scoring game as you might expect. We should have a close one, which is why I, I think the Clips, maybe my favorite bet is Clips plus eight with whatever you want to tease it with. Maybe you don't want to touch the total because – it's been, a, you know, pretty wonky in terms of how these teams are home road scoring. Uh, but I think the Clippers are going to be competitive in this one for sure. Uh, they've won, you know, every game that they've gone out to win lately. And I think the Bucks haven't really faced uh, this this tier of competition since they got the band back together. Yeah, the band, the band back together just basically being Kawhi. Well, for both these teams, yeah, it's, it, you could say that that's the narrative of the season. Um yeah, let's just, like I said to you before this video, let's just go ahead and throw out the caveat that we can't control if Paul George decides 17 seconds before tip that uh, his hamstring is flaring up and he's not playing. So obviously everything we talk about is with the caveat that these teams are going to be playing at a much more full strength than they've been for the majority of the season. I was scared of an under at first because of the fact that, you know, in the, in the last 10 games, and, and I sort of just used the last 10 knowing there's been some form of Kawhi PG in and out throughout the last 10. There's been some form of Giannis missing a few games and Middleton missing some as well in the last 10. Um, so all that's understood, but really just using that as a, as a big sample size for here, comparing it also to just the way that they've played against each other um, in their last bunch of matchups, which you kind of point out, it, it's not like there we've had the, the full sort of rosters on each side in their recent history to really be able to use that as a strong gauge. But um, when, you know, mo most of the time this is going under, um, you know, roughly like two, 232 or whatever you you know you can find this out. I think it's still at what 230 and a half right now is probably the best under you're gonna find in this game um but e either way like for this to go under um would require a few things the bucks to shoot a poor percentage from three or at least not make a ton of threes um and, and for the you know the the clippers to rebound after they you know have good defensive possessions where I do think that they're gonna be able to limit um a bit more you know what Milwaukee wants to do similar to what you were saying a minute ago if that's the case it's really a matter of are they going to rebound the ball after they they play that good defense and in their last 10 they have been you know top nine uh yeah ninth basically in, in defensive rebound percentage and uh limiting second chance points actually been about sixth in that um and, and that those are really the biggest places right now i mean points in the paint often seem huge but really you know it's just Giannis scoring in the paint so are you stopping Giannis to some degree or at least slowing him down and i think to your point like ty Lue's really got to make that decision are are you going to go ahead and lock up the three-point line 
because in their last 10, while teams have been shooting, you know, not the not a horrible percentage uh, uh, from three against the Clippers, they have been limiting the attempts that teams are even shooting from three, getting out there uh, on the wings when Paul George, Kawhi, Batum even are all out there, uh, and Norman Powell as well, who's like a 6'3 dude with a 6'11 wingspan. Uh, now you've got like three to four dudes who really guard the wing really well. That's why they're running them off the line and forcing them to, to play a bit more inside. If that's the case, you know, now you're just talking about having a, a little bit less uh, uh, force down low to be able to defend against Giannis. So Ty Lue's really got to make that decision of, is he going to give up a bit more, uh, you know, is he going to hawk the three-point line with those guys, or is he going to pack it in a bit more to ensure that Giannis has a wall of defenders before he can get below the free throw line as he's getting ahead of speed, right? And I, I think they'll, Ty Lue, as well as anybody, is going to be able to do that job, uh, and I think you, you do limit the three-pointers a lot more because if, if, if guys like Grayson Allen, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Pat Connaughton, um, even when Wes Matthews and George Hill are in there, if those guys start raining threes, then everything's open for Giannis at that point. So I do think you want to run them off the line and keep things a little bit clogged uh, out there and then see, do what you can down low. Obviously, Zoo might be getting a few more minutes tonight to uh, be able to hang with, with Brooke Lopez as much as possible. So um, I do see the advantage there for Milwaukee, but I still think you know if, if um, the Clippers are going to play at, at the, the, the pace that they've been playing, I, I don't see how they get much you know further over that. Even you know against the Spurs, they obviously it wasn't even really pace. It was just that they were pissed probably that they barely beat the Spurs last time, uh, and Kawhi went clean off, which is why that game went to about you know two thirty eight or so. Um, but other than that, with, with the pace being what it is, and when you're playing a good defensive team like Milwaukee um, for for the Clippers, I think we see what they do. Right, they play the Cavs, they go under. They play the Mavs, they go under. But they play the Spurs or the Lakers, or, or you know Spurs twice, Lakers or the Hawks, and we're talking about teams that just hemorrhage points. Um, and I think that's why this is a bit more of a defensive battle with these two teams sort of taking away what the other one likes to do well. And I, and I think that'll be the case in this one. That's exactly what I was going to look at. Yeah. It's like when they playing good defensive teams, it's either them struggling to score when they were in that funk or them holding the other team in check, like holding Boston uh, to 116 or holding Dallas to 98 in a win at Dallas there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like one one of the two teams is going to struggle to score at times because you have such a good defensive coach in Lou and, and such good wing defenders uh, in the clips. And I, yeah, so I think that's why under is is convincing. But it's like also that's that's why the Clippers are probably going to hang around and probably cover four. Um, it, it's a little it's a little on that dividing line. That's why I think it, it is a good opportunity to tease with another game. Um, but I, I, I do, I, I think it's still like kind of a toss up, uh, because the Clippers are playing really well now. There's, they're starting to be that team, uh, that everybody thought they would be in the off season, uh, because Kawhi is, is really rounding into form. And, and that's what it comes down to. Are they trying? Do they need this game? Looking on the horizon for them, is there a reason to feel like they need to sit these guys? I mean, they're in Milwaukee. They've got a night off before they have to play in the Knicks, uh, you know, on Friday night, where I think they'll also be pretty ready to play. But, I mean, this is this is sort of a bigger game uh, for, for them, in my opinion, uh, against a team that, like, there's been a lot of finals predictions that include the Bucks and the Clippers, right? So I think you're going to get a, a sort of postseason-style game uh, from, from both these teams. The Lakers, not so, but they are playing pretty well. Um, and, and with AD and LeBron back in the lineup, uh, I, I would have to think this spread would be a lot bigger if Halliburton was still officially out. Um, and like you yeah. said, yeah, we don't know how effective he's going to be. And it's always kind of an adjustment process when you have a, a guy that the offense orbits around when he comes back after missing 11 games or so. And I mean, there's a lot of the offensive numbers, I guess you can get into in terms of how they struggle without him, but 
I'm just looking at the defense and the lack of defensive intensity from the Pacers lately, and that has nothing to do with Halliburton's absence. That has to them to do with them regressing towards not, you know, not being a playoff team and, and just after their surprising start. And they were pretty good guarding the paint, um, but they're 21st in paint points in the last 10 here. And biggest thing here is dead last in defensive rebounding rate, giving up the most second chance points per game, giving up the highest offensive rebounding percentage, uh, and also struggling all year. I mean, 26th in free throw attempts allowed. Um, because for me, it's more about the the Lakers have AD in there, and what you know that's an advantage they can push big time on the offensive glass on the free throw line. They're getting 27 and a half free throws their last seven with AD in the lineup. And that's key for a team that doesn't really shoot the three ball very well um, and has to go inside to get those points. <clears throat> Lakers have been an under team lately, even before AD came back. I mean, under an eight of their last 10 non-overtime games. They've covered in seven of their last nine when LeBron has played. Um, but yeah, it's more about AD being in the lineup and, and then that defensive rating seven points better per 100 possessions. They score three points fewer, even though it's the same pace, because, you know, he's not, you know, exactly the most fluid offensive player right now. He is, but it's very much able to bully a smaller team if Indy uh, is going to keep playing that way and not and not guarding the paint well, not not rebounding well. So, I, I mean, this is a game that Lakers obviously have to have. It's it's it doesn't get much easier for them on their schedule, even though this is on the road. Um and and it's third game in four nights, but LeBron and AD didn't play one of those. So they they basically lining right. this up to say, you know, we're going to be rested enough now to beat the Pacers. Um, and even with Halliburton in there, they they're pretty primed to stop what what the Pacers do in terms of scoring points off turnovers. LA has the lowest turnover rate their last eleven, um, and they're not eighth in transition D on the road, so they don't give up a lot of fast break points either. Um, I, I lean towards under at 240 here, even though the Pacers have been playing some yeah. crazy games. Uh, but I definitely think the Lakers can impact that with those two veterans out there um, and make this a lower scoring game. Um, so I think Lakers and, and the under maybe together as a parlay makes a lot of correlation sense. Yeah, I want to agree with you there. The thing that scares me about taking an under is that Halburn's going to I think he's going to play a little bit. I, I, it's like Carlisle said that specifically. So like, I mean, it's kind of up to him. I know the trainers have a say, but like if he feels confident enough to say that to the press, like kind of seems like Halburn's going to play a little bit could still mean he doesn't play very much. But I mean, the thing that scares me is that combined with the, you know, the, the pace that he creates and obviously they're playing at pace, no matter what they want, fast break points, they want to play in transition um, because especially without Halliburton, they, they don't have um, a solid you know playmaker uh, that can really set everything up in the half court, but they score 118 points per game at home this season. And it's at home that, you know, their games do seem to go pretty high. Although that last Chicago one only hit 226 and they were able to win that one, but who knows what's going on with Chicago. Um, so, you know, back to this game, like Los Angeles, AD being back. Yes. That's, that's going to be what it comes down to um, for, for them is, the way that they've been scoring with AD and the way AD has been scoring is second chance points. They've been the fifth best offensive rebounding team uh, since he's been back, which is like you said, because he, there's not much fluidity to his game right now. Um, he's, you know, scoring the fewest uh, point percentage of his points, or I should say he's taking the fewest amount of threes that he's taken over the course of the last two seasons since he's been back. I mean, it was just a four game span and he's only played in three of them. Um, but like you said, I think to, for him to, to get back into rhythm is going to be him playing around the paint and getting those offensive rebounds, those second, 
chance points um, where, you know, Indiana is just really hemorrhaging second chance points, allowing the second most over the last five games um, and, and, you know, giving up a ton of free throws as well. So uh, this is a, a situation where you look at the last game uh, in L.A. and everybody was playing in that game. And I think what it came down to was the Lakers weren't playing defense anywhere around the three point line at, at that time. And definitely during that game, as the the uh, the um, Pacers hit 17 threes in that game. Um, then the other thing is, you know, the the, uh, the Lakers at the time, LeBron went shot 36 percent from the field, 21 points, 30 percent from deep. Um, and I just think that was a complete anomaly. And, and watching, you know, I didn't really I remember that game, I, you know, in terms of what happened in it and just wondering what the hell happened to LeBron because it seemed like an opportunity where this is perfect for LeBron. He just wants to get up and down and score points because you can't stop him when he has a full head of speed. Um, so this is the perfect team to do that against. And then it just, you know, long rebounds uh, on a ton of three-point attempts that should be coming to LeBron to, at the top of the key to go. And none of that seemed to be happening for him. It was just an off night. And I, I just expect that to be the complete reversal in this one. If you look at the three previous games before that last one that he dropped 21, he had 31 a game against them with eight boards and seven, uh, seven dimes as well. So, um, yeah, with Braun and AD out there, this is just a, a case of them being way like a, a much better team. Uh, and I think they have something to, to, to prove here. The fact that they lost the last one, uh, you look at what they, what's happened since AD has been back. They did get robbed versus Boston. You got to win in overtime. I get it, but whatever. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, the other two games that they played, um, obviously with AD back, one that they lost against the Celtics, like I said, that Nets game they threw. And then, you know, the Knicks game was one that uh, we, I think we both kind of felt good about. I felt great about when it came out at plus three for, for the Lakers against the Knicks. And, and I think it's a, a similar case now where I'm happy that like Halliburton's sort of wavering uh, in the balance of whether or not he's going to play because that is keeping the spread to about minus one and a half is, is where you can get it. If you want to bet on the Lakers with the best odds there, you can get it at minus one and a half on a few books. So I, I would hit that. I actually already did when I saw it open at one and a half, knowing that LeBron is forever questionable and still plays and that Halliburton, even if he plays 25, 30 minutes, I don't think can impact this game enough to, to keep the Lakers from from covering. Yeah, and interesting the the immediate reaction from the officials after all the, the the histrionics against Boston and AD saying that they should be fined if they miss a call, which you know it, it gets gets some attention in terms of like, oh, you know he's not going to get any calls talking that talk. But he, he went nine for eleven at the line against the Knicks, so and they gave him thirty one free throw attempts. Did the refs um, also got a ton of free throw attempts against Brooklyn with without those guys in there? So I mean. Officials are going to do their best to like go against the grain in terms of like looking like they're being too biased one way or the other. Um, and the fact is just Davis's game is is such that, you know, he puts a lot of onus on the official, like put him on the line or or look like it's a sloppy no call uh, at times. And yeah, the Lakers are it's it's totally backs against the wall at this point in the season even. Uh, and they managed to come through covering on five straight road games with those guys in, in the lineup or with even Le, just LeBron in the lineup. So I, I think it's a good spot yeah. to back them here. Yeah. And, and even getting a few guys like Lonnie Walker back has been helpful. The, the, the three point defense has been so much better <laughs> for them uh, since in, in their last five, roughly back up to about fifth best uh, in terms of opponent three pointers made opponent three pointers percentage. And we know what, 
Indiana needs to do to win games. They're making 14 threes a game before Halliburton went out only 11 and a half since he's been out. Um, and, and like I said, the assist down, which is crucial to those threes as well, considering, you know, that, that they have a ton of assisted three pointers made per game rather than those unassisted ones. So yeah, I, he's just too crucial to what they do. They need to hit threes to win. I think LA is focused on that at this point. Um, and, and they're ready to, to take a W. So you're listening to the lines.com podcast network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Nate, let's go ahead and jump right into your first NBA player prop for tonight. My boy, Jimmy Buckets. Yeah. Yeah, the Jazz just don't miss at home on that precious Achua <laughs> prop. He only had six yeah. boards because the Jazz score 131 yet again. But moving on, uh, should be plenty of misses in the Heat and Knicks. It should be a, a classic rivalry bruising match. Um, and Jimmy has enjoyed those types of games. His last seven against the Knicks including four at MSG, averaging 24 points, seven rebounds, six and a half assists in his last four since uh, the Heat flopped in Dallas. He's averaging 24 and a half points, nice 26% usage rate, uh, playing 34 minutes per game. And he's averaging 22 on a 27% usage rate since the start of January, since you know he's really kind of tried to get the Heat on track here, get them out of that play-in status and into good position for the playoffs. Um uh, 21 and a half points is pretty low uh, as a starting point, about even money on FanDuel. I definitely think he gets there. If you want a little more juice, though, I think the steal slash blocks at plus 130 at MGM is is real juicy. Um, he has a, He's coming off a five steal game, right? He has like 11 steals in his last four. He is yeah. an absolute thief. And, and while Jalen Brunson does a great job taking care of the ball, Grimes and RJ Barrett and those other guys on the wing and, and Julius Randle has been a turnover machine against the Heat. Uh, I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities for Jimmy to get some swipes there. The Knicks are also allowing a very high assist rate at home. They're, they're, they're great three-point defense, but that is not Jimmy's game at all. Uh, and they're on the season giving up the second most points, seventh most rebounds and assists to small forwards. So if you want to tack on rebounds or assists or go 31 and a half PRA sure uh, but I think it's the points and the stocks that you can trust Jimmy most with here it makes sense I'm definitely taking the stocks I mean yeah a, a man who who can get five steals in a game and has been has been just yeah t- completely picking all the pockets at plus 130 for him to get three of them um, I, I love that I, I want to add the assist. I know he hasn't been quite diming up as much lately uh, in the last four since that Dallas loss, like you mentioned, only about f- less than four assists a game. That's why his assist prop 
feels kind of low. It's at four and a half uh, in some places and for, for kind of bad, for poor odds at one and a half or four and a half. But um, you might add the assist because of the fact that, you know, like you said, the, the Knicks are allowing a high assist rate. Jimmy's been getting the ball in the post uh, as part of their offensive game plan plenty and is, is looking for guys the whole time. I don't love that the Heat's uh, shooting percentage has been so poor because of the fact that, you know, the, to try to get those assists, you need guys like Struess and, and Hero and Depot to make some threes off of what he's doing. Um, but, you know, I think I'll stay away from that. Just hit the 21 and a half points. He'll probably get to the line a decent amount as well. If he's going to be going down low. So still no Mitch Rob for, for the Knicks. I think it's a pretty good opportunity for, for Jimmy buckets for sure. Um, staying in this game and crushing my soul is the fact that I don't think Julius Randall is going to get 25 points tonight. Neither do you. I know I'm actually, it's minus one Oh four on FanDuel for the 20 go under on 25, uh, you know, 24 and a half points. Um, but the, the points and rebounds at 36 and a half, I, I also like, uh, I, I know there's going to be an opportunity for some rebounds in this game. If both teams are playing defense well, but like at the same time, how many possessions are we really going to see between two teams playing at like a 95 pace, um, over the course of the last 10 games or so, uh, you know, for, for Julius against, uh, this Miami team the last four versus them, 14, a game, seven and a half boards on really bad splits, 29% from the field and 17% from deep, um, with a seven. 78 and a half percent uh, offensive rating uh, in in those last four. Even in his last two, he's been a little bit chill, um, pulled back a little bit. Two, 21 a game uh, and, and 11 boards in that time frame, but still really bad splits. That 37 percent from the field and 20 percent from uh, from deep, where he's been struggling actually a lot over the course of the last like couple weeks. Um, and he's actually uh, you know is a little bit worse uh, at, at home than he is on the road offensively. 23 points per game at home versus the 26 that he's getting on the road. This one in MSG. Um, 29. Percent from deep uh, at home as well versus the 38 percent that he's shooting uh, on the road, and and that's been really you know ex- ex- uh, exemplified in the last couple of weeks, especially uh, Miami defense allowing third fewest points per game to power forwards, eighth fewest rebounds to them. They are second in limiting uh, opponent rebounding, um, and like I said, playing at that like 95 per, uh, pace, which is exactly what the, the Knicks are playing at. So not too enough possessions, I don't think, for Julius to get all those points and rebounds tonight. Yeah, you got to respect Miami's defense, especially in this type of matchup. Like, this is where Bam Adebayo shows his Defensive Player of the Year chops. If they put him on Randall, it's just a long night for Julius Randall, who's just, yeah, it's just absolutely abysmal numbers his last four meetings with this team. No problem taking an under on him here. Um, my second prop, also 21.5 points, it's C.J. McCollum. Uh, for the Pels, he's been slowed down a little bit. I mean, his usage dipped in the first three games with Ingram back, uh, but went up to a 27% usage rate, got to 21 points at Denver. Tougher matchup than tonight, I guess, at Dallas. Uh, Dallas still without Wood and Kleba. Has a 120 defensive rating their last seven home games. This is not the Mavs defense of last year at all. Uh, in that span, they're 24th in opponents field goal shooting and giving up the most free throw attempts per game. So CJ, you know, he had a chill game against them in the first week of the season, 14 and 11. We talked about how he wasn't really in prime shape coming in. Uh, of course, Zion and Ingram were both there to to take on some of the load. But last season when he was kind of the man for the Pels, playing with just B.I., no Zion, 38 points on 14-26 shooting, 7 for 10 from 3 against Dallas. Uh, so he can definitely light it up in this matchup. I think anytime you get it, you, you're facing Luka, it's going to be a bit of a shootout um, in, in terms of individual performances. I think that bring out the most in C.J. here, and he gets his points. 
Yeah, trying to go back to the well with CJ. He's had a few underwhelming games for us, but this is another good situation. I think with BI uh, and No Zion is kind of uh, one of one of his better you know opportunities to score, right? In terms of he's just on one side of the floor playing his sort of mid three point to mid range game, and BI is doing the same thing. His sort of mid range to almost to layup game really uh, on opposite sides of the floor is where they're working, and I think it's going to work pretty well for both of them tonight. I, I would even consider BI at, at twenty and a half tonight. I think both those guys. Um, put up a decent amount of points. Uh, also, like, kind of like Joe Val with the way Dallas has been playing poorly down low. Um, so I guess I just kind of like the Pellies is what I'm saying in this one. Um, We've we taken some points as well, so it could be a good opportunity for them. But um, if they do win it or cover that four and a half uh, that they're at right now, I think you definitely expect big games from both, from all three of those guys, McCollum and B.I. and probably Joe Val. So uh, I'm going to close things out with my boy. You know I like Mason Plumley here, killing it for the fantasy squad this season. 24 and a half points and rebounds. Minus 105 on DK. The double double is only minus 120 for the kid right now. I say the kid; he's been the lead forever. Uh, but you know he's hit ele- uh, the 24 and a half uh, points and rebounds in 11 of his last 13. That also includes against Chicago, where they're playing uh, tonight. 21 points, 14 boards, and four assists. Don't sleep on his assists, by the way. He does get about three or four of those a game. Um, he's averaging 17, 11, and three and a half assists on 74 percent uh, field goal over the last 13 games. So uh, some really good numbers there. Uh, overall and, and like you said it's important to know he's been hitting the the, the points and rebounds combined prop uh, pretty steadily obviously averaging about 28 in the in the course of his last 13 he's getting about 30 minutes per game that's what you can probably expect for uh, with him against Chicago tonight as well uh, matching up against uh, Vooch and and really not even worrying about that because uh, he's if, where he plays on the floor but um, you know the, the only time he didn't hit the prop when he got 28 and 25 minutes versus Phoenix and, and Miami respectively uh, over the course of the last 13 so if he's not if he's going to get 30 minutes right I think we feel a bit better about him uh, you know getting those points and, and rebounds combined bulls allowing the fourth most points per game and ninth most rebounds per game to centers over their last seven vooch not exactly uh your defensive prowess down low so i think you feel pretty good about mason plums tonight yeah he cruises past this prop a lot um in 11 of these last 13 and i'm kind of looking at his defense um matching up with vooch as the reason to go under on vucevich 19 and a half points is way higher than we've seen from Vooch's prop lately uh, because he's coming off yeah. a couple of nice games uh, against Orlando and the Clips. But prior to that, you know, Plumlee helped hold him to 12 points, nine rebounds on, on poor shooting. Uh, he had actually gone under 19 points in 11 of 14 before those nice two games. So that's another one to think about uh, as we look at, you know, might, what might be another kind of ugly game between these two after we, what we just saw the last time. Yeah, yeah, ugly all around, but uh, might work in Charlotte's favor once again. We'll see. That is all the time either way that we have for you guys looking to stay hot with you on these player props. Make sure to like and subscribe. Got all three game videos up for you today and these player props. So until we see you next, happy betting.